you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. At Christmas, she's Mrs. Claus to many queer youth and young adults. Year-round, she's an amazing mentor for the debt-free guys. She's the ubiquitous money pro, Miranda Marquette. Miranda joins us today as a representative of StudentLoanHero.com, which just did a study that uncovered the disproportionate effects of the growing student loan debt crisis on queer people, such as 60% of LGBTQ borrowers regret taking out student loans relative to only 45% of the general population, and queer people on average have $112,000 in student loan debt, about $16,000 more than the general population's average of $96,000. Trust me, you do not want to miss this important episode because this is just the start of a national conversation. This episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the How to Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge, coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. Here we go. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Well, we're excited to have today's guest. I don't know if she remembers, (laughs) but about Five or six years ago, and I might have told the story. I can't remember. Either I'm old enough that I'm retelling stories, or I drink a lot. Four, <laughs> probably five, both. <laughs> four, four or five years ago, I emailed Miranda about it. How does it, you do what you do? You, you're this personal finance blogger. We want to do that. We want to replicate it. And she was so kind and gave us all sorts of instructions. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, we're hanging out with her in Philadelphia, drinking, <laughs> drinking all day long, <laughs> day and, drinking for yeah. the win. And now we're like friends. Yes. <laughs> So that's cool. So we're excited to have Miranda on our show for the first time. Welcome, Miranda Marquette. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. It's great. So and I have to say I'm excited because Miranda is also a podcaster. So having somebody who has the equipment for podcasting <laughs> is awesome. We can hear you loud and clear and our audience can hear you loud and clear. So we're excited about that, too. <laughs> totally. I, I have a pretty mic and a pretty pop filter. <laughs> yes. Pop filter. Our microphone almost fell over. So do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about who you are and your background, please? Yeah. So, well, my name is Miranda Marquette. And as you say, I have been a longtime freelance writer in the financial space. Right now, I work for a company called Student Loan Hero and studentloanhero.com. And we try and help people manage their student loan debt and not just manage their student loan debt, but also manage their financial lives because a lot of people feel very overwhelmed by student loan debt and get caught up in this idea that, you know, they can't start living until that student loan debt is taken care of. So we kind of help help them move along and manage their finances in a way that allows them to move forward with other goals while still tackling that student loan debt. And then I still do some freelancing. So I have some freelancing clients still, so you could still read me in other places. And then I have my own financial blog, plantingmoneyseeds.com, where I like to talk about organizing your financial life so that you can enjoy your life today. People are always like, oh, well, like, is it early retirement? And I was like, well, no, it's more about designing a life you wouldn't want to retire from, right? right? right. (laughs) It's like, I have no plans to retire from my life. I like what I do. So yeah, and then of course, our podcast, well, our site at adulting.tv. And fun fact, you can come to adulting.tv. And I always have to say .tv because if you don't go to the .tv, then you will never unsee that and it will be awful. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) Head on over to adulting.tv. 
And you can read stuff from John because John <laughs> writes for us sometimes. Yeah. It's great. And we were on the Adulting Podcast, I think, a year ago. Talking yes, about you were. Love and relationships and money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And when is time to move in? Oh, that's right. That's yes, right. it's time to move in. That's awesome. So before we get stuck in the trivial, I want to cover the important. What in your opinion, is the best cocktail in the world. <laughs> well, I have to say Zazarak because if I don't, then my friendship with David becomes significantly less awesome. <laughs> yeah, just a caveat. I introduced Miranda to a Zazarak. I think that was when we were in North Carolina yeah. yes, uh, at yes. the FinCon conference. I think that was the second time we hung out. Or no, that was the first time, What the first year that we hung out. But that was mm -hmm. the conference where we were immersed in the personal finance geekdom, I I guess you might say. <laughs> there are other people who do what we do. And, well, and, and fun fact, I think this was also the conference where you guys were like, I don't know, should we, should we talk about queer money? Should we go there? And I said, here, guys, I want you to search something. I want you to, I want you to search taxes. I can't remember what I had to test, but it was like taxes and like gay money or something. Mm -hmm. And my site was like the first thing that came up. Right. And I was like, if my results are like the number one results <laughs> in the totally money space, that. you need to be there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it has opened up all sorts of doors for us. So thank you so much. Right. Well, and I think that what you just mentioned, Miranda, leads itself into what we're going to be talking about a little bit later on in the show today is that there is a dearth in the financial space when it comes to the queer community. There has been a hesitancy for financial services firms, for individuals, and I think even queer people themselves to talk about our financial state. It lends itself to this discussion of maturity in our community. As our community is maturing, there are topics we must start talking about, and this is one of them. Oh, gosh, definitely. Definitely, for sure. <laughs> exactly. One last important question. Since you work for Student Loan Hero, I just imagine that when you're working, you're wearing a cape at the office. Is that true? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't have to go to an office because it's a fully remote company. Yes. So, but sometimes I'm sort of wearing a cape because I have a Batman robe. <laughs> like, I, like my parents, a couple years for Christmas, it was like the nerdiest Christmas ever. They got me this Batman mug and a Batman robe. And I mean, really, it was like 12 year old Miranda's favorite Christmas ever. <laughs> nice. It happened nice. two years ago. So I have a Batman robe that sometimes I wear. And, and just so our listeners know, usually behind Miranda, her desk, you can see a sword. So it's, it's, it's glam drink for all you Lord of the Rings people out there. <laughs> so awesome. So Student Loan Hero did a pretty amazing study on LGBTQ student loans specifically and debt in general. So would you mind giving our listeners a bit of a background on the on the survey and what you did? Yeah. So basically, we were trying to figure out, okay, student loans have been done to death, right? I mean, we know that there are $1.4 trillion in outstanding student loans. You know, we know that economists from, I mean, Janet Yellen, the former Fed chair to even just last week, well, at the time we're recording this, the new Fed chair, Jerome Powell, they're all sounding this alarm that if we don't fix the student loan crisis, it could cause economic consequences. So that's a big deal. But we were starting to wonder, like, how does student loan debt affect different communities differently? Actually, the survey I did just before this one was a study of gender and student loans and the differences Ooh, interesting. in gender. Yeah, and student loans. And the one that's coming out after this that's being done by my colleague, Rebecca, is going to study race. And so oh, wow. 
Yeah. So we were just looking at different communities, different demographics and saying, well, you know, we talk about millennials and their student loan debt, or we talk about age 55 and older and their student loan debt, which is actually growing quite a lot, believe it or not, because yeah, a lot of amazing. A lot of them have student loans. Anyway, that's that's another podcast. But a lot of them have student loans that they've taken out for their children or grandchildren. Right. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And so that's a, actually a very fast growing population with student loan debt, but it's being covered. So we were like, well, what are some of these student loan differences when we dig into the demographics and how are different communities, different people, different demographics being affected by student loan debt? And we thought, well, we don't hear a lot about like LGBTQ communities, and we don't hear a lot about how their finances are being affected. But I know personally, just from knowing you guys, I have you know several folks here where I live in town, and then knowing somebody you've had on the show before as well, Andy, I know that there are these financial challenges. And so I was like, that's something we should tackle because that's something that a lot of people haven't looked at yet. Yeah. We are astounded by some of the numbers in this study. It's just amazing to us. We've always been baffled at the amount of student loan debt that especially millennials and Gen Z are taking on right now. And then we see these numbers of our community and it's alarming. And we have to, oh, yeah. like you said, if politicians are sounding this alarm, we must sound this alarm as well for our community and try to find some solutions. Right. And when you think about it, when you say, okay, so student loan debt is something that's negatively impacting heterosexual white males, right? <laughs> and if something is negatively impacting heterosexual white males, you can bet that everybody else is getting it worse. Well, that's, and, the, and, that's the definition of trickle-down economics, are. right? Yeah, that, yeah, that right. is. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, when you look at the numbers, apparently, yes, everybody else is, in fact, getting it worse. Right. <laughs> yeah, so would you mind sharing what some of the, the highlights of the, or I guess the lowlights <laughs> of, the, of the data were, please? Yeah. So, well, first of all, one of the things that we found was that LGBTQ student borrowers, so graduates with debt from the LGBTQ community, a majority of them, so 60%, regret taking on their student loan debt. And that compares to 45% of the general population. So first of all, less than half of the general population regrets their student loan debt. LGBTQ community, more than half regrets their student loan debt. So that I thought was very interesting just to start. I also thought it was interesting that LGBTQ borrowers had right around like $112,000, a little $112,607, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> right around $112,000 in student loan debt. And that's about $16,000 more than the general population average. So the general population average of student loan debt is about $96,000 worth of student loan debt. So there's a higher amount of debt there. 28% of respondents thought that their student loan debt was unmanageable. So that's almost a full third of them feel like they can't manage their student loan debt. Right. That's interesting. So, oh, I have so many questions. Okay. So go, going back. <laughs> I just threw a bunch of like numbers at you. You don't you, and you have questions? Do you have questions? I know, right. And I love I love when we get data. I always get excited when somebody shares data with us because it, you know, it opens a window into what's going on with the community. So 60% of queer borrowers regret their student loans. And 45% of the general population eventually regrets taking out their student loans. Do you have any understanding as to why there's that regret? Is it because we're not choosing degrees that'll get us higher paying jobs? Are we taking out more student loans that we can't pay back? So there are a few barriers, I think, come in this. Now, some of this is more from like the qualitative research from the data. So we asked 
qualitative questions as well. And some of the reasons that they regretted taking on this debt had a lot to do with the fact that they're not working in their subject area, in their degree area. So one of our respondents said, I can't find a job in the subject area I went to college for, and now I'm in severe poverty with bad credit. And then they just feel like they're going to be paying them forever. And it kind of goes back down to part of the study we looked at was, you know, we were looking at income. And so, you know, in general, the LGBTQ community in general, make a little bit less money mm-hmm. than the general population. And so then I started looking at other data that was outside of the scope of our study. We had some stuff from Out and Equal and some stuff from the Center for American Progress about workplace problems for um, the LGBTQ community. And one of the things that I found as I was like digging into this and looking into this extra sources is that in many cases, it's hard for them to, first of all, get a high paying job. And second of all, it's hard to go ahead and advance. And then when I was talking to Andy, he was talking about what he sees is a lot of them just end up in service type jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, These are jobs that are relatively easy for them to get, no matter their gender identity or their sexual orientation. And they're easier to get because there's a low barrier entry in general. So yeah, so then you end up with a lower income. And then that, of course, makes your student loan debt feel unmanageable. And then you regret it because you're not working in your degree area. You're working in a restaurant or you're working at a retail store or whatever. And you you can't afford your loans. And you're like, why do I have these? And part of it does go back to the fact that, you know, a lot of people are afraid to show who they are or be out there because in 28 states, so in more than half of the states that are out there, you can still be fired for being a member of the LGBT. And I live in one of those states. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) So this correlates to a data point that David and I have heard from a couple of different conversations with friends and business partners, but we haven't been able to find the source of the data. It was like over 60% of the LGBT community, over 40%, 40%, over 40% of the LGBT community works in service. Right. And whether that's, you know, dining or restaurant services, or in, like you said, retail, it is harder to get ahead financially in those jobs, not exclusively harder. You can certainly, you know, make some money in there, but especially if you go into college and getting a six figure degree, (laughs) paying that back is going to take forever. And I'm kind of frustrated with this because when my friends and I were going to college, so many of our parents were just saying, you know what, just go to college, get a degree. It doesn't matter what you go for. Only matters that you get a degree and you can figure out what you want to do when you graduate. And now in hindsight, I'm like, and then didn't really make sense at that time, but I just did what I was told. But now in hindsight, that's just stupid advice. Well, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's blanket advice and blanket advice is never good advice because it's not specific. You know, we have a perfect example in, in a family member who got a degree that cost over $100,000 in social work and was out of college getting paid $26,000 a year. And we know that that is very general advice. General advice is always needs to be taken with a grain of salt. But I think One of the things you're talking about here, Miranda, is the fact that many in our community are going to school, getting these degrees. They're paying a lot of money for these degrees, $112,000 on average to get these degrees, but then they're coming out and they're finding it difficult to either get jobs that are going to pay them enough to pay off those student loans, or they're just finding that it's their scarcity maybe in the jobs in which they're applying for. And so it's difficult for them to find something in whatever degree that they've chosen. 
I know from just anecdotally from individuals that we've talked to at various colleges that we've visited, it seems like individuals in the LGBT community especially tend to go towards many of the degrees that are, I don't necessarily want to say activism related, but they're oftentimes social related. And those jobs are unfortunately some of the lowest paying jobs because our society doesn't value those. Right. I mean, that's a huge problem too, is, you know, you go into these jobs with this idea of I'm going to change the world, I'm going to touch people's lives. And unfortunately, even though these are the most important jobs that can be done, and we as a society claim to value these jobs, we say we like those jobs, we never put our money where our mouths are. Mm -hmm. And the compensation is very low. I will have to say I'm going to call out our own community. John and I have seen studies that have shown the lack of financing of those organizations within our own community. There are so few individuals who actually donate money to the organizations that are making change. And that is part of the reason why those organizations have a hard time paying better is <laughs> but, because we're not funding right. those organizations. But if you've got $112,000 right. worth of student loan debt and you're working at Gap, it's going to be hard for you to donate to HRC or to One Colorado. I mean, you just don't have the $50 even to give away. Right. Right. We're shooting ourselves in the foot, right? Well, we may not have the $50 to give to those organizations, but we do have the $50 to spend on brunch on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always $50 to spend on brunch on right. Sunday. Yeah. Or when you live here in Idaho, it's 20 bucks. To spend. Right. <laughs> Which we need to go to Idaho and hang out with Miranda and yes, have 20 do. bucks brunch. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. We have the most amazing place that does mimosas, like Sunday morning mimosas. Sold. There we go. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Come here and sleep on my air mattress and I'll take it. <laughs> awesome. Well, so we're taking out $112,000 on average of student loans, and the general population is taking out about $96,000 on average. To what extent do you think that is because we're not getting the familial or institutional support that the general population is getting? Is that having an influence? I think it probably is. Like I said, I can only go with some anecdotal stuff and things that I see, and I probably see it on a more extreme basis just because of where I live. But yeah, I definitely think that that lack of familial support is a big deal. You know, for instance, like my parents gave me like some limited support for college, not a lot because they had five kids. <laughs> so <laughs> there'd be more coming up through college. <laughs> it helps me a little bit, you know, but I still had to take out student loans. I still had scholarships and all of that. But there's something about, you know, the fact that like, even if I didn't have like a bunch of money coming in from my parents, like I always knew I could still come home, right, for holidays. Mm -hmm. I'd still have a place to live for holidays. If I really needed help, I know that they would help me. And there's just little things like that that sort of add up a little bit. So right now I have a young man that I'm friends with who is going to school here in eastern Idaho. And he is out. His parents don't approve. And he's just having trouble paying his bills, you know? Mm -hmm because his parents aren't going to help him with it. And I know that there are other students who don't identify as LGBTQ that also have those problems when you come from a lower income family. But the fact that they know that their parents are proud of them helps a lot, I think, psychologically in terms of moving forward and feeling the confidence to maybe get a part-time job or feeling the confidence to move forward and, and do well. Or, you know, knowing that their parents will, when they come home for a break, offer them a meal. It's just really difficult to have to look at that and, and see how sometimes they're treated. And I think that makes a difference. And then I think a lot of the time, shoot, I lost my train of thought. 
crap. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just going to kind of parlay another data point from the, I think it's from this study or one that we are well aware of is that 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ. And for some individuals, the loan for college expenses may be what prevents them from being on the street. And so they take out these loans as a way to finance their life for five, six years, and maybe even longer as a way to prevent themselves from being homeless. But at the same time, and we know this just because of so many people that we talk to, financial skills are not taught in our homes. The financial skills are not being taught to us when we're in high school. So you go to college and you acquire this massive amount of debt so that you can supposedly or allegedly provide for yourself when you get out of college. But then when that arrives, we're not actually certain how to do that. And so we're, we've made some bad decisions while we're going to school simply so that we can survive. And now we're faced with potentially even worse financial situation. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point you make because um, even though we didn't speak to this much in the data, you know, you do have to take out those extra loans because you aren't getting that support. And part of the problem that Andy touched on that I thought was very interesting in this study was that in some cases, like if you're going to get student loans, if you're going to get federal student loans, you have to have your parent information on the FAFSA. Right. And so you might be able to get the parent information on the fast, but your parents might go ahead and give that. But then your financial aid, like the scholarships, the grants, all of that kind of stuff, that's in part based on that FAFSA information. And if your parents look like the government thinks they should be contributing to your education, but they won't because of your sexual orientation or your gender identity, then, you know, you're not going to get as much. You're not going to get the subsidized loans. You're not going to get the grants. Some schools, when they offer the need-based, they're not going to give you the need-based scholarships. And like you said, you're going to be stuck taking out these unsubsidized student loans. And as you said, sometimes you need to take even more than you would normally need just so that you can survive. And then the other problem that you run into as well that Andy's seen in her work with homeless youth and, and LGBTQ youth is that some parents won't even fill out the FAFSA for them. Right. They won't they won't give them that information. They they'll be like, "Well, you have to do these things. You have to stop being gay mm-hmm. in order for me to fill this out." Which, oh my gosh, <laughs> it makes me want to cry just thinking <laughs> about it honestly, especially when you look at what we found in our survey that 33% of LGBT youth report being kicked out of their homes at some point. For some of them, the reprieve is going to college. They think, okay, I'll just get to college and I'll be okay. And then they do come out and then... It makes their challenge even harder because now their parents are being challenging. Right. Yeah. 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 I thought what stood out to me with regard to the homelessness was that LGBTQ youth are 120% more likely than their peers to become homeless. That is staggering. Right. I don't understand how children can become homeless to begin with, let alone reporting those kind of numbers. I mean, I just... Baffling. Well, and I think it goes back to what we found about them being kicked out of their homes. I'm part of a a network on Facebook that is activated pretty much around the holidays when kids are coming home from college or when, you know, a lot of the time for whatever reason, and, and I don't know once again, but for some reason, the holiday season seems to be the time where a lot of people feel like they can come out to their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm part of a network that's on standby during the holiday season because there's always several youth in my area that are kicked out of their home (laughs) in the Idaho winter. And so, yeah, so just kind of part of this network where it's like they can come stay at my house if they need to, you know, to get through whatever it is. 
Well, thank you for doing that. We appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's horrifying. It's, right. I mean, it's just it's just horrifying. I mean, I think about it, I look at my my own teenage son and I'm just like, yeah, I can't conceive of any situation in which I would kick him out. It's incomprehensible to me. Yeah, that blows my mind. So, so I get oh, good. I was just going to say we kind of have highlighted a number of downers. Here. <laughs> yeah. and, oh no! <laughs> I I believe that there's hope and that there's opportunity and that things will get better. What kinds of things are we seeing that maybe something that's good coming from this data? Is there something that we can cling to and say these are some strongholds for our community that we can look forward to? Well, I think the first thing is is the fact that there's this data now. Originally, when, when we conceived of this study, we were just supposed to use data that existed. And, you know, we did some of that. We got some of the data from the Williams Institute of Law, from the Center for American Progress, from Out and Equal. So we did get some data from other places, but there wasn't specific data on student loans and the LGBT community that we could find. And so we decided to make our own survey and, and get our own data. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so that's what we did. And I think now that this data exists and now that we can look at it and now that you know, it's pulled in from these other sources and there's a strong narrative that says, hey, this is an issue and it's probably bigger than any of us thought. You know, now we can start looking at it and saying, all right, so why are we here and what can we do? I think for a lot of people, like this is something that's not even occurred to them. And so I think the first step is just awareness. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get some awareness out of this and we can move forward and start making some steps for like a real difference. Yeah, because it seems to me as I'm looking at all the, this data is that there have to be like structural changes. It's to me, it's, oh, not, yeah. it's not just students making bad financial decisions. In some cases, as we've discussed, this is their only solution for survival. And granted, it's only for four or five years and then we'll deal with the repercussions. But if there were institutional changes if FAFSA didn't require parents' information. You know, if there were some changes that we can make that way, that would make it easier for LGBT people to get college education. Yeah. And I and I definitely think that there should be some way of changing that. Because, you know, when you're applying for grad school loans, I mean, I did this, you know, I went to grad school. And when you're applying for grad school loans, you're automatically considered an independent student. So you don't mm -hmm. have to worry about your parent information. But there needs to be some sort of mechanism you can use as an undergrad to be declared an independent student. And there is sort of a long process you can go through to try and get that status, but it doesn't really reflect the fact that you're LGBTQ and your parents don't accept you. And it's very hard to get that status just based on that. And so that's definitely something that needs to change. And I think in a lot of ways, I hate to get all political up in here. <laughs> <laughs> what well, is but, queer well, money? It's hard to not be political. <laughs> but let's, let's be honest about some of the backtracking that's been done over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Right? Let's be real about that for a minute. The Department of Education a few months ago just said that it was reversing its stance on transgender bathrooms. And that might seem like a little thing and a small thing, but it really brings out the fact that there's a part of the community that cannot be safe. Right in public and cannot be safe in school. There are people that are worried about whether they're going, you know, not just transgender folks, but, you know, plenty of other LGBTQ plus folks who are worried about these things. You know, am I going to get fired from my work? Like a good example here is in Idaho, right? This lovely couple that I know, everybody puts out pictures of them in their wedding pictures, right? Or them and their kids or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Their happy family pictures. She can't put out a picture of her with her wife mm -hmm. because if she puts out a picture with her with her wife, she's going to get fired. 
Like right. she knows this. Like <laughs> she knows that she will be fired if they find out that she's gay and she's just well, lesbian, whatever. She's just sort of hanging on at this job because she needs it to pay the bills, but it's not a healthy environment for her and she lives in fear all the time. I mean, it's hard to make decisions, you know, based on that stuff when it's fear. And then, you know, when we looked at this, you know, we also found that 32% of LGBTQ respondents say their gender identity or sexual orientation was a factor in being denied services. Mm -hmm. So they've been denied financial services. And so it's hard to get excited about going into the bank and applying for a loan or going into the bank and opening an account when you're worried that you're going to be discriminated against, you know, or maybe a financial planner won't want to work with you. I think Andy Tremonte, who you interviewed for this article, um, he was also on Queer Money several episodes back, quite a bit, actually, episode 20. The quote in, in your article, I thought, struck home. He said, when you're looking at discrimination, facing all these financial barriers and wondering if you're going to get attacked in a public bathroom, the last thing you're thinking about is whether or not you signed up for your company 401k. <laughs> yes. Like if this woman is, is afraid to put a picture of her and her wife on her desk, she's hiding some portion of herself that she can't be her best at work. She can't feel inspired if she has to feel like she has to constantly not talk about exactly what she did on the holidays or the successes that she's had with her spouse or if they have the children. And you can't be your best self. Right. And then there's so many unconscious biases around the office. A woman who is not married may be looked at as in many ways, as not the kind of person that the company maybe wants to promote or excel. We're, we're because, foul tempstresses. Right. Right. Oh, right. right. So, uh, and, and good quote. <laughs> you know, the same thing with, with a man who is not married to a woman. He may not feel like he fits in with the quote unquote boys club. So he often gets passed over for promotions. So there's those unconscious biases that individuals may not be overtly saying, I'm biased against you because you are queer, but they're unconsciously, they have some biases against you because you don't fit into the heteronormative mold that all their friends do. Well, it's like when I was on that sales team, they went out for beer several times and they never invited me. And they just assumed that I didn't like beer, but they didn't realize how much beer I drank. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a low class gay. Oh, I, oh, I drink no, high class no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I like my PBR once in a while on a hot day. See, and but, I won't drink the stuff. So. <laughs> but that's, it's just beer, right? But it's right. allowing you to bond with the other people in the office, people who have influence with your career, and you don't have that bond. And then when you go in the office next morning, you're not a buddy, you're just a coworker and you weren't at the event last night. So we don't really know you as well or aren't as interested in it or engages you, even though it's unconscious. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I look at, you know, some people I know, like, I mean, one of my things right now is so it's going to be really fun and sound terrible, but I think <laughs> uh, so like my parents, like since my mom's been teaching out at this rural school, she's gotten way more tolerant of Hispanic children and also low-income children because she understands now. She gets it because she knows them. I'm trying to find a token gay to bring home to dinner. So that they... <laughs> Another reason why we need to go up to Idaho Falls. <laughs> <laughs> so they can get to know gay people and like them. <laughs> um, but, you know, I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the reality is, is it's so much easier to demonize someone as the other when mm. you don't know them. Absolutely. And I think definitely like getting the word out about this information is important. I think that making safe spaces so that people feel comfortable coming out and being who they are is important so that, you know, people feel comfortable doing it. And so then other people around them can see 
who they are and realize, oh my gosh, it's like they're real people. I actually had somebody say that to me, Miranda, have you met gay people? It's like they're real <laughs> people. And I'm just sitting here looking at him going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Yes, they're real people. Very good. Yes. Hashtag winning right there. <laughs> we've, we've, we've crossed over into viewing them as humans. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's important. And then I think education for the community is a must. And this goes for any community, but it's got to be education that reaches people where they are. In looking at the women and money survey that I did, the gender survey, the way women approach money is a little bit different. The life experiences they've had mean that they need a little bit different approach to getting financial services and financial help and education than men do. And I think that the experiences that many LGBTQ people have had means that they need a slightly different approach as well, just because of the way things are taught to them or the experiences that they've had or the way they've handled money in the past. They might need a different approach and they might need a little extra encouragement. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because we just also interviewed Zach Stafford. Uh, Stafford from Grindr. And Grindr did a study on millennials and travel and the amount of money that millennials are spending on travel. LGBTQ. <clears throat> yes, sorry. <clears throat> LGBTQ millennials. And one of the things that we discussed with Zach was this whole idea of how our life experiences can have an impact on what it is that we end up wanting to do with our lives. So we may seek out opportunities to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and because of that spend more money doing that because we come from a place where either we lived in a family where we were not accepted or we lived in a community where we were not accepted or as in general society norms made us feel not good about ourselves or maybe it was religion whatever the case may be those things may play into the reason why we spend the money the way we do I like what you're saying here is that maybe we'd need to take a look at, is there certain thought processes that are going on for LGBTQ youth when they're thinking about going to school? And part of it is this spending as an escape to get away from a place where they don't feel comfortable or safe. And because of that, is there some opportunity for education to help them maybe earlier on? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think I keep coming back to two solutions for this. One, I think we need to talk about this more. I think bloggers and podcasters and the broader media in general needs to talk about this more to highlight the problem and to normalize everybody. Because like Harvey Milk said, put yourself out there so people get to know you because when they know you, they like you and they find it harder to vote against you. But then I also think it's our community's responsibility to raise our community's expectations. Yeah, and yes. we need to start going into schools, telling these kids, you need to also be a CEO. You need to strive for the professional positions. You need to become the leader of, of your company just as much as the white guy who's the quarterback on the football team. Exactly. <laughs> Of course, you know, you want to gravitate towards what your profession and your, your abilities are, but we need to also let them know that they can achieve anything they want, not just a retail job if that's not what they want. Right. Or an activist. Right. There right. Are, yeah. There are lots of opportunities out there and you need to go with what it is that you really enjoy doing. Well, and you can still be an activist. Right. There's, without without right. you know have, being a CEO, right? You've right. got a bigger paycheck. You can donate more time. You got You can donate more money. You don't have to just be an activist by volunteering or uh, working at a, a nonprofit. Right. There's but lots we of need ways. That. There's lots of ways to further the cause. Right. So yeah. those are my solutions. Raise the expectations and talk more. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think that's I think that's a good start. Well, and then just general financial literacy and and you were talking about yeah. this like in high school and college we don't have to take these financial literacy classes and I think 
general financial literacy where we do have to take these classes is a big help. The conspiracy theorist in me wants to say that schools and businesses and the government in general, <laughs> Bilderberg, benefits from us not being educated about finances. Right. <laughs> why do you think it's so hard to get personal finance into schools? I don't know why it's so hard to get personal finance into schools, honestly. <laughs> you know, you'd think you could do it as like, even if all you did was every year have one specific unit of math that was about money. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. right. You know, just be like, you know, we're going to spend half this trimester or half this quarter doing practical math. And this practical math is going to be money. <laughs> no parallelograms. You know, and we're going to, you know, we're, yeah, exactly. It's like, we're going to talk about for the younger kids, you know, you get it right. When in kindergarten, you, you have the little things and you count the money. And then for some reason after kindergarten, we stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah. Right? You just learned how to spend it. <laughs> exactly. You what count it. And then count it and then right. spend it. <laughs> That's why the conspiracies to, to me make the most sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think one of the things is that, yes, we definitely need to be doing that throughout school. And, and it's something I had to keep putting into practice. It'd be nice if we could be like, oh, yeah, I mean, parents are going to do it. And, you know, and I try and work with my son and, you know, everything. But and my parents did with me, but they like never talked to me about investing. They talked to me about saving mm -hmm. money and and budgeting, but they never talked to me about credit cards and they never talked to me about investing. And those are like two major things that really, yeah. really kids should be talked to about. Exactly. That was another interesting data point that you pulled out in this particular study, the percentage of LGBT people who have student loans who also have credit card debt. Yes, 79%, I think, is what it was. And that's actually true of the general population as well. Those with student loans are more inclined to have other types of debt as well, and credit cards is the highest. But there's not quite as many that have that credit card debt. And mortgage debt is something that's up there on the list higher rather than, you know, being mostly credit card debt. Um, uh. LGBTQ folks, interestingly enough, don't have as much mortgage debt. That is so. interesting. It is interesting. Well, and I'm wondering if that's simply because they're not entering the home ownership phase of their lives as quickly as other individuals are because of the massive amount of student loan debt that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I could talk about this for hours. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so any any last thoughts on your end, Miranda, as the expert on this particular Gosh. topic? <laughs> No, I haven't heard anything about that. So wait, <laughs> what am I saying here? <laughs> no, I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> I've heard a lot about it. I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> well, I have something to add. I just have to add a huge thank you to oh. you and to Student Loan Hero. John and I find on a regular basis that it's difficult for us to find the information about members of our community and how our community is interacting financially versus others. I work for for a couple more weeks. <laughs> I work for one of the largest 401k record keepers in the country. And my company has done zero to understand how the LGBT community interacts with retirement. And there are other massive 401k record keepers out there that represent tens of millions of people who have done nothing to understand how the LGBT community interacts with how we save, how we spend when it comes to our retirement. 
that's not out there. So the fact that a company like Student Loan Hero that has an interest in helping people manage their money better is looking into this, I have to say thank you very much. And whether that is you individually, Miranda, or the company and someone else, I have to say thank you because it the more we know about ourselves, and now it sounds like stupid little, the more you know. I see a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> the but the more we know about ourselves, the better we can live the lives that we really want to live. Like John and I say, live fabulously, not fabulously broke. And Right. Yes. If, if we're making <laughs> awful financial decisions while we're young, we may not have the opportunity to live fabulously because we are fabulously broke. Yeah. So the sooner that we can have an impact and help make that changes in roads to that, we have to say thank you for the data. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. And I just found this fascinating to look at when this data came back and very sad in a lot of ways as well. So yeah. I hope that we can start putting this data to good use and that things start happening. Right. Exactly. Yeah. At least we can get the conversation started. So I've got two more questions for you. Where can our listeners find out more information about this study and Student Loan Hero? You can find out more at studentloanhero.com and the studies there on studentloanhero.com. You can find that on our blog and then, yeah. We'll also include it in the show notes. Right. Cool. And then uh, where can our listeners find out more about Miranda Marquit on social media and online? Yeah. So you can go to plantingmoneyseeds.com. You can also go to at M Markwit on Twitter. So at M Markwit on Twitter. And then my Facebook is facebook.com slash planting money seeds. And you can read more from Miranda at adulting.tv, not adulting.xxx. <laughs> right, exactly. Adulting.tv. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you for so much for sharing this data with us. And thank you so much for coming on our show. We appreciate having you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Miranda and studentloanhero.com for conducting such an important study for the queer community. This student loan crisis is a major crisis, and unfortunately, we in the queer community and many other marginalized communities are bearing the brunt of the crisis. To our queer community, we must start talking about this every chance we get. If you have a platform or know someone with a platform, if you are in a leadership position or know someone in a leadership position who can help get this message out, please introduce them to the study, to studentloanhero.com, to Miranda Marquit, or contact us and we'll be happy to make the appropriate introductions. We must demand a change. The student loan crisis is ruining people's lives. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. This episode was brought to you by the upcoming Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge coming to debtfreeguys.com soon. If you like this or any other episode of Queer Money, please remember to like, comment, and share Queer Money on iTunes so we can help more LGBT people. Thank you. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my happy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end I like the butts, so From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.